So we are going to continue in our study um, in the life of Joseph, Joseph's journey. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be at the end of, of chapter 37 real quick. And as you're turning there, I was out playing catch with my son when he was younger, and all of a sudden the ball just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I couldn't explain it. Then all of a sudden it hit me. Had a date with my wife last night. It was incredible. Tomorrow we're going to try a mango. A date and a mango, Harley. Amen. This morning, as I said, we're going we're gonna to continue our journey with Joseph, and we're going to touch on a very important topic today, and that is the topic of temptation. Mae West, she said, I generally avoid temptation unless I can't resist it. Oscar Wilde, very known for his uh, cynicism, he said, I can resist anything except temptation. He said, the only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. So there's no doubt yielding or giving in to temptation is much easier than resisting it. But we also then have to consider the cost, the consequences, because they are far greater than we can ever afford. Amen? Temptation. Once you give in to temptation, your life is going to be overwhelmed with anxiety, with shame, with remorse. Your soul is just going to be in ag- uh, just agonizing constantly, and will become sick. And I want to clarify something as we start this study. We'll, we'll touch on it again, but that sickness, the, agoni- uh, the, the agony in your soul doesn't come from the temptation itself. It's not from that forbidden fruit. It comes from tasting that forbidden fruit. Amen. Being tempted is not the sin. It's when we yield to that temptation is when we fall into sin. So I want us to make sure we understand that it's not the forbidden fruit itself. It's when we yield to it and we taste that forbidden fruit. Amen? So when it comes to temptation, we need to understand that there is only one way to avoid its catastrophic effects. There's only one way to avoid its destroying your home, your marriage. And that is simply to resist it. Amen? We must resist temptation. It's pretty easy to say, isn't it? It's easy for me to stand up here and say, just resist it. Much, much harder to do it. Much harder to put it into practice every single day. So the question is, so how do we do it? How do we resist temptation? And that answer is simply through the example of Joseph. Over the last couple weeks, we saw that, uh, you know, God tells us in his word that he gives us these biographies in the Old Testament as examples so that we can learn from them. They can teach us. 
as warnings of, of what to do, what not to do, how to respond, how not to respond. So we're going to see a great example in the life of Joseph when it comes to temptation. So when we last saw Joseph, he had been cast into a pit by his brothers. Amen? Let's pick up in Genesis 37, skip down to, uh, let's pick up in verse uh, 25. Genesis 37, verse 25. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted up their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with the camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, and, when, uh, and, and they uh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit. And indeed, Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers, and he said, The lad is no more. And I, where should I go? Remember, Reuben was the oldest. He had that responsibility of his brothers, and he didn't realize what his brothers had done. He thought they had taken Joseph out and killed him. So he, he tore his clothes in, in, in mourning, and, and he said, Now what should I do? Where should I go? So they took Joseph's coat, killed a, goat, a kid of goats, and dipped the coat in blood. Then they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's coat or not? They knew it was. They knew he knew it was. And he recognized it and said, It is my son's coat. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, For, I sh for shall I go down into the grave to my son in mourning? Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Let's skip to chapter 39. Pick up at verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority, under Joseph's authority. So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, 
And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has uh, to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So lodged deep down inside of all of us, deep down inside of our flesh, is a, is a silent propensity towards lust, towards desire. And this smoldering fire is just waiting for a small spark to reignite its flames. Once it's ignited, it will take complete hold with unrelenting grip. Now understand, it doesn't matter if it's sexual desire or desire for revenge. It doesn't matter if it's ambition or vanity. It doesn't matter if it's a love for fame and fortune or greed for money. You see, lust or desire can take any of those forms. But once we give in, we need to understand that our joy in God is then extinguished. Our relationship with, with God at that point is changed. We no longer have that sweet fellowship. We no longer have his joy in our life and in our heart. The moment that we yield to that lust or that desire and we cross that line. Our focus immediately shifts off the creator and onto the creation. Amen. That's what happens when we give in to lust or desire. We lose sight that God is real to us because we've drifted away from him. And if we keep drifting to that point, we'll wonder what it felt like. We even doubt. Satan does not attack with hateful thoughts of God. He doesn't try to implant hateful thoughts of God into our minds. He doesn't try to make those suggestions. What he does is he attacks us by deceiving us to forget God. You see, if he can entice us with temptation, if he can get us to yield to that temptation, and then our relationship with God is, is separated, then over time, his plan is for us to forget God. It'll make it feel like God's not even real. 
So we have to be very careful and mindful about the, the effects of giving in to temptation. Desire, lust can be interchangeable when aroused, overcomes our mind and our will. It overwhelms us in the deepest darkness. We can no longer think clearly. We can't make good decisions. And it's then, in that moment, that we begin to rise up against God and his word. Amen. When we yield to that temptation and we give in to that sin, that's when we start to rise up against God and his word. Every single person that has ever lived, including Jesus Christ himself, has faced temptations, right? We've all faced them. The problem is that every single person, except for Jesus Christ, has given in to temptation at one time or another. Amen? We've all done it. So again, temptation comes in many forms, and really three different forms. Much like sin. Sin, we can put all sin into three buckets. The Bible calls it lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You think of every sin that you could possibly commit, it falls into one of those buckets. Temptation is very similar. It comes in really three main forms. First is that of material temptation. You know, that's the lust or the desire for things, material things. Could be as big as a mansion or as small as a ring. It could be as dazzling as a new car or as dull as an antique. We've all felt that pull of the lust for things before. And we've all given in at times to that lust. I got to have that, right? See a new toy that comes out? I'm talking about grown-up toys, right? Got to have that. We've all given in. Second form is that of personal temptation. That is the, the lust or the desire for power, for authority, for titles. And think about that. So many today get tripped up on titles. You know many people. Oh, you didn't refer to me as such and such. Sorry. You get wrapped up in titles. Now, there's no sin in being a, a doctor or an MBA or a CEO. No sin in it at all. But the sin comes when you give in to that, um, you know, that lust, that desire, when that little voice continues to say, you deserve that. You know, you carry that title, just think of how people will think of you, refer to you, treat you. That's when that lust for that title becomes a problem. And thirdly, and... and you know, what most people think about temptation is that of sexual temptation. You know, the lust for sex, sexual or sensual pleasure. Probably the most common. We need to understand with this desire, with this lust, it's really for something that's not ours. 
whether legally or morally. So think about that. That's really the bucket that it falls into. It's that desire, that lust for something that's not ours, whether legally or morally. And this is the very lust that Joseph faced. Sexual temptation does not have an age. It doesn't have a gender. It doesn't have a profession that it focuses on. It comes after everyone, even in the family of God. Amen. So we need to understand that this message is for all of us. You know, we can't say, oh, Pastor, that that one's for someone else or for so-and-so. No, this message is for everybody. Every single one of us. And I want us to really pay close attention as God gives us instruction. He he wants to teach us from his word, from, from Joseph's life, on how we can resist temptation. Right? It's easy to say it. Much harder to put it into practice. So let's start digging in here. Verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there, down to Egypt. Now, in verse 1, I, I want us to consider some things that are actually missing. Not, not things that are there that we can read, but, but some things that are missing. And the first thing that's missing that, that we, don't, we aren't told is that of time. We don't know how much time came between the end of chapter 37 to verse 1 of chapter 39. We don't know how much time is in between there. We don't know how long Joseph had been in Potiphar's house. Could have been two weeks, could have been two months. We're just not given that information. We're not told how long it was before this temptation came upon him. The second thing that we're not told here is the Bible really doesn't focus on those life adjustments that that Joseph had to undergo. Think about his life at home with his dad, with his beautiful coat. Now think about his life here in Potiphar's house. Nothing said about these adjustments that Joseph had to make. Joseph came out of a very sheltered home, didn't he? We saw that and we we started to look at his family structure. He He was his father's favorite. He, got, he received, you know, special favor. He was exempt from most of the hard labor that his brothers had to, had to undergo. But now we see he's thrown in a pit. He's sold as a slave, shipped to a foreign land, shipped down to Egypt, and is owned by this man named Potiphar, the, the captain of of the guard, Pharaoh's guard. Think about all the adjustments. He's in a foreign land that speaks a foreign language. He was never taught Egyptian. Now he has to learn a whole new language, a new culture. Egypt is way different from Canaan. The Egyptian life, the Egyptian culture is way different from that of the Hebrews. New language, a new culture, 
a new home. And this home isn't even his. He's a servant in that home. So now he has a new role. He's not the favored son, you know, the heir of that home. He's now the servant in that home. And that means he also has a new set of responsibilities. Or actually, he now has responsibilities where he didn't have at home. So, so we're not told about all those changes, but we, we can understand that they're there. And we're told that his master is Potiphar. He's captain of the Pharaoh's guard. Put it in equivalence today, that's probably like the head of the CIA. Pharaoh's guard was the elite protector of the Egyptian king, of the Egyptian pharaoh. And he was captain. He was head of this elite guard that protected Pharaoh. Many Bible scholars who've, who've studied um, you know, the, the Egyptians and, and their setup, many of them also believe that he would have been the head executioner for Pharaoh. So bottom line, he's a, he's a guy that you would not take lightly. Amen? Pharaoh. We have his guard, the captain of his guard, Potiphar. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 starts off with an incredible phrase. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Let's think about that for a minute. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, you're going to see this phrase a lot as we go through Joseph's journey. The Lord was with Joseph. And it's important for us to understand and, and really cling on to that phrase because Joseph is going to be, he's going to go on a quite a roller coaster ride. He's going to have some things that happen to him that we would say today, well, that's just not fair, right? It's one of the favorite phrases today. It's not fair. But I want you to keep that in mind. The Lord was with Joseph. And as a result, it said here that Joseph is very prosperous. He's a very successful man, both in wealth, you know, material wealth, and just success, status. It wasn't luck. It wasn't self-will. It wasn't based on his personal ability. God makes it very clear that the Lord was with Joseph, and that's why he was a successful man. Amen? We have to understand that connection. It was because sovereign God chose to bless Joseph. We need to understand that, and that's a truth for all of us to understand. If we are successful, if we are privileged to be blessed, it's because of the hand of God upon us. Amen? This nation, the United States of America, this is a nation that has been blessed generation after generation after generation for one reason. And one reason only. Because we were founded as a Christian nation under God and God has blessed us because of that. 
Amen. Our success is due to God's favor. For Joseph, we see here that God had chose to bless him with health, success, and to have favor. He had, a, he had good rapport in his master's eyes, in Potiphar's eyes. Let's look at verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. I want you to notice something here. Did Joseph have to wear his Christian t-shirt and his Christian wristbands and his Christian necklace to, to advertise, Hey, I'm a Christian. Is that what it says here? Not at all. Joseph didn't have to say that he was a Christian. Joseph didn't have to say that he followed and, and was faithful to the true and living God. It says right here, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord blessed him. He saw it. He saw it in Joseph's conduct. The way that Joseph lived every single day, he lived it in a godly way. The way he spoke, his attitude, his heart was all in tune with God. Joseph didn't have to say a thing. Potiphar saw that he lived much differently from everyone else. He stood out. Amen? You think about how dark our world is today. We see violence and hatred, bloodshed, right in our own backyard every single day. Should it be hard for us as Christians with the heart of Christ to stand out? It shouldn't be. Amen? It should be almost as if we're walking around with a big neon light over our head or a sign over our head. Or do we have to tell people we're a Christian? Amen. Verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight, in Potiphar's sight. And there's two words here that just speak volumes. It says, and he served him. Underline that in your Bible. He served him. Think about that. Then Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Again, Joseph didn't ask for favor, although he was used to it. He didn't ask for grace. He didn't ask to be treated differently. It was just given to him. And what did he do in return? Did he puff out his chest, slack off a little bit more? Ah, the boss likes me. Now I can take it easy. Right? I can take a 20-minute break instead of 15 minutes. Is that what he did? It says he served him. 
The inference here is that he worked even harder. He served him. He worked hard for his master every single day. The master found favor in his sight, and Joseph continued to serve him. He didn't take it for granted, and that's the important part. He didn't take advantage of it. He didn't try to find shortcuts. He worked hard, and he stayed faithful to the Lord. As a Christian, we ought to be the best employee our employer has. Amen? We should stand out not just in the world, but we also should stand out in our workplace. should never be a question of integrity, honesty, hard work. Amen? We should be one of the best employees that our, that our employee has. For Joseph... This got him a promotion, didn't it? Potiphar, his master, promoted him to be the overseer of his house. He didn't just supervise all that went on. Potiphar put him in charge of all that he owned. That's a big promotion, isn't it? Massive promotion. Unimaginable for a Hebrew slave in Egypt to be promoted to that position. But why did it happen? Because the hand of God was upon Joseph. God was with Joseph. Amen? God's not done blessing either. Look at verse 5. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So I want to throw some caution to the wind here. I want to add a, add a little admonition here, a little warning. With greater success also comes greater trust you follow with greater success right joseph was promoted potiphar then had to have what greater trust with greater success requires greater trust and with that heightened trust comes greater vulnerability amen that bullseye gets put on your back This warning goes to anyone who's ever experienced any type of success. Anyone who's ever had a position of authority. The temptation that comes with success, the temptation that comes with prosperity, is far greater than that that comes with adversity. Amen? have to understand that. quickly become a target for temptation. And we see that right here with Joseph. Let's look at verse 6. Thus Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had 
except for the bread which he ate. (laughs) Remember I talked about that heightened trust? That's incredible trust. Amen? There's husbands here I know don't trust their wife with the checkbook that far, right? Or wives with their husbands that far, the checkbook. Potiphar had no idea what he even owned. All he knew is that every day he came home from work and he had food on his table. That's what he knew he had. Incredible. Left it all in Joseph's hands. Now, take note how verse 6 closes. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. That phrase, handsome in form and appearance, occurs only three times in all of the Old Testament. Here with Joseph, once with King David, and another time with his son Absalom. Three times the Bible uses that phrase. And we need to understand that God is extremely accurate when he chooses words in the Bible. Amen? There is not one mistake, there's not one incidental word in the Word of God. God chooses His words perfectly and accurately. Now, so we need to understand, just, just so we can set some ground rules here. It's not a sin to be tall, dark, and handsome. Amen? It's not fair, but it's not a sin. So we can't look at David and say it's his fault, right? It's not a sin to be tall, dark, and handsome. However, it does put a bullseye on his back for temptation. Let's look at verse 7. And it came to pass, after these things, that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. All that responsibility, all that success, those good looks. Joseph is young, he's powerful, he's successful, he's good looking. No doubt he's catching the eye of of a lot of women in Egypt. But one set of eyes in particular, Potiphar's wife. I want you to think about the predicament that this young man is in. Think of the predicament that he faces. Consider his age. He's a teenager. In a foreign land, strange place, strange home, and this happens. So let me close with some thoughts. Again, being tempted is not a sin. Joseph did nothing to bring this upon himself. There's nothing in the word of God that indicates he was out of line anywhere, any place. It simply says that he found favor in the sight of God. He found favor in the sight of Potiphar. He was promoted, and what did he do in return? He served his master. He worked hard. 
So Joseph, we have to understand, he did nothing to bring this upon himself. It's Potiphar's wife that was the temptress. And the key is how we respond, how we react to the temptation, right? It's not a sin to be tempted, it's how we react. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We have to know that with every temptation, there's a choice. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 10, 13. Listen to what God tells us here. There's no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. So right off the bat, God is removing all excuses, right? So a lot of times we'll say, well, no one else had to deal with what I was dealing with. No one else had the temptation that I had. No one else could have gone through this. Well, God throws that right out the window. What does he say here? He says, the temptation that you endured is common to man. What he's saying is, everyone, it's common. Maybe not every single person, but a large multitude of people have been tempted the same way you have. And remember, there's really three categories, right? Material, personal, and sexual. So it falls into those three buckets. So God wants to remove all excuses first and foremost. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Amen? Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Did you catch that? God knows us better than we know ourselves. Amen? He knows our limits. He knows our breaking points. He knows what you have going on in your life, all the different circumstances, and he knows what you can handle. And it says that he is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted. Now, make sure we catch this as well. God cannot tempt us with evil. Amen? But there are times where he will allow a temptation to come into our life. But he will only allow what we can handle. Amen? So there's two promises there. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And then we get another but. Remember, but, that three, little three-letter word but is a transition word. But with the temptation, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it, resist it. First and foremost, we can't say that no one else was ever tempted with this massive temptation that I was tempted with. We can't say that it was too much for me to handle, and we can't say I had no choice, right? God spells it out for us. With every single temptation, he makes a way of escape. Bottom line is that every time that we sin, it's a choice. Every temptation that is before you today 
has a choice. Amen? Yield and give into it, or resist it and flee. Amen? That's our choice. One thing you'll find very clear in God's word is that he makes things very simple. We try to complicate it. We try to twist it, make it sound like this or that. But the word of God is written in about a third grade language or third grade aptitude, understanding level. And he makes it very simple. When there's temptation, you have two choices. Either yield to it and give in, or you resist and flee. It's that simple. Amen? The choice is ours.